Lord, we just thank you for today. Today is a day that you've made. Each person here is here for a specific reason and a purpose for today. It's by, by your divine appointment. And so, Lord, I pray for this morning for each person here present and online that you would speak to them this morning. Father, I pray that you would loosen my lips and, and allow your words to flow. Let it not be my words, Lord, but let it be your heart. I pray, Lord, that the word that goes forth this morning would bring encouragement to each of the listeners. Lord, I pray that the word would fall on fertile soil and that it would sprout up and grow this morning, perhaps bring in healing and wholeness to those. So we ask your blessing now in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning. You know, I, my title of my sermon is, Who Do You Think You Are? You know, and I've heard that a lot growing up. I remember as a kid, um, what I would do is I would tie a, a towel or pin it to my back and I'd be flying around, you know, and I'd jump off of stairs and leap off of couches. And my mom would say, who do you think you are? So I'm Batman, I'm Superman, right? And, you know, and then as I started riding my bicycle, I remember, you know, I'm, I'm going down a hill and I'd go over a bump and my mom would say, well, who do you think you are? I said, well, I'm evil Knievel. I'm jumping over you know, buses or trucks and... As I got older, you know, as a teenager, I remember a time where um, <clears throat> my brother and I, we would share a bedroom together, and we'd wait till my mom would go to bed, and then we would sneak out late at night. We'd climb out the, the bathroom window, and we'd get on our bikes, and we'd go riding with our friends. And we, this would be like 12, 1 o'clock in the morning, and for some reason, my mom always had that sense to always know that there was... The kids were not in the house, and she'd go looking for us. And would you know it, you know, you know, one time we're, we're riding, you know, um, and we're doing jumps in this parking lot, and then my mom is coming, and, and it's, it's like 1 o'clock in the morning, and she says, what are you guys doing? Who do you think you are? Get home, she says. That was a nice way of saying it. <clears throat> Later on, as a, as a young adult, I remember... You know, as I was driving, I was coming home late one night, and I was on 9W, and there was nobody on the road. It was dark, it was, you know, and so I'm doing about 85 miles an hour down 9W, and, and the car comes up over the hill, and it happens to be a state trooper. And I can see, you know, the lights, you know, go on in the back, and he, I pass by him, and he whips around, he comes after me, and I'm like, oh, no, what do I do? So I get the bright idea, I'm going to turn my lights off, and I downshift, and I'm now doing 120 miles an hour down 9W, trying to think out what I'm going to do. And so I, I quickly pull into uh, this guy's driveway, lights are off, I duck down the car off, and I'm just hoping and praying, and then I hear the car come up over the hill, and I hear a screeching, and then, you know, I could hear the, the door slam, and, and the state trooper comes out, and he's like... I got a wife and three kids. He says, I don't need to be chasing you at 3 o'clock in the morning. Who do you think you are? I'm like, have you been talking to my mom? So, you know, it's, it's funny, but, you know, it, it's, there's a truth to the statement that, you know, who do you think you are as, part, as a part of our um, core beliefs, as I want to say. You know, we... Over the years, there are experiences in life growing up, the things we've seen, the things we've done, we've 
developed uh, core beliefs. How we view ourselves, who do you think you are, right? How, you know, we, we develop core beliefs and how we see the world around us. And even sometimes we even develop core beliefs on who God is and how we view how God views us. You know, when I, when I think about, you know, um, when I say, you know, who do you think you are? Sometimes I even think in my own self. I'm, I'm still hearing that today as an adult, but it's not coming from my mom. It, it comes from other sources like my own head. You know, sometimes I'm even asking myself, who, who am I? You know, I, who do I think I am? Am I, am I who I am? I'm not going crazy here, but am I, am I the person that should be doing this? Or, or, and sometimes it's even the enemy of my soul that might even plant that little seed and say, you sure you're up for this, Brian? Who do you think you are? You know, you're, you're, you're a nobody. Right, so I want to kind of look at some of the, 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 the um, core questions and things that we tend to hold on to. And a lot of times these core questions, or core, or core beliefs, I should say, are half-truths, or maybe they're not even true at all, but we've kind of clinged on to them, and we've taken them as a part of our belief system. And I want you to know that, you know, wrong or right, these things that we hold to be true impact our everyday life. These core beliefs are what makes us tick. These core beliefs affect every area of our life. They, they affect our relationships around us. They affect our attitudes and how we perceive things. They even affect our actions. You know, what, what we believe will dictate what we do. You know, if we, if we, be, you know, if we believe that it's going to rain outside, we may change and say, okay, we're not going to go outside there. I'm going to go do something else. And it's, it's the same idea with some of these truths. So I want to explore that this morning. I want to encourage you to understand that we, we need to, to grasp and get a hold of our truths and recognize that with the right beliefs, we can soar and accomplish a lot. We can accomplish much in this world, especially for the kingdom. But with the wrong beliefs, we may end up finding ourselves stuck in our own little space, having accomplished nothing. So hopefully this morning I'm going to be able to encourage you in this. So to illustrate my point, I'm going to be talking about... Uh, a, a, uh, I don't know if he was a young man, but we're going to be talking about a man in the Old Testament who I feel has struggled with his own personal beliefs and, and, and how he views himself. And, then, and the story is going to be found in the book of Judges. But before we do that, what I want to be able to do is I'm going to do a little backstory and, and look at the book before Judges, which is Joshua. And if you remember the story of Joshua and who Joshua was, Joshua was Moses' successor. And he's the one who helped lead the Israelites into the promised land. 
You know, so at the end of the book of Joshua, in, in, in Joshua chapter 24, Joshua uh, assembles all, all the people and he gives them a solemn warning. And so in, in verse uh, 14 of chapter 24, he says, So fear the Lord and serve Him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. But if you refuse to serve the Lord, then choose today whom you will serve. Would you prefer the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates? Or will it be the gods of the Amorites in whose land you now live? And I love this one of my favorite scriptures, but as for me in my house, we will serve the Lord. Reading on, go to verse 20, it says, And if you abandon the Lord and serve other gods, he will turn against you and destroy you, even though he has been so good to you. But the people answer and Joshua said, No, we will serve the Lord. So that's that's the backstory. So now moving into the book of Judges, at this point now in the story, Joshua has now died. All right, and then so with Joshua dying, the people, the Israelites now have forgotten their promise that they're going to worship the Lord wholeheartedly and not worship the gods of the Amorites and the Midianites and the mosquito bites and, and all those. He's, they have forgotten their promise. So we pick it up in Judges chapter 6. We're looking at verses 6, 1 through 6. So the Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. So the Lord handed them over to the Midianites for seven years. The Midianites were so cruel that the Israelites made hiding places for themselves in the mountains, caves, and strongholds. Whenever the Israelites planted their crops, marauders from Midian, Amalek, and the people of the east would attack Israel, camping in the land and destroying crops as far away as Gaza. They left the Israelites with nothing to eat, taking all the sheep, goats, cattle, and donkeys. These enemy hordes, coming with their livestock and tents, were as thick as locusts. They, they arrived on droves of camels, too numerous to count, and they stayed until the land was stripped bare. So Israel, Israel was reduced to starvation by the Midianites. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord for help. Wow, can, if you can get the picture of what's happening here, the, 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 you know, the Midianites have really just come in and have ravished the entire land, stripping it completely bare, leaving them literally with nothing. And if you picked up on that little thing there, even the Midianites' livestock had gone through and eaten every bit of vegetation, so leaving them with literally nothing. So I want to pull up on a screen here a little diagram that I drew. If you take a look here, this, this is such the, the, the vicious downward spiral that the Israelites dealt with and in the book of Judges and throughout much of the Old Testament. So they started out good and they were serving the Lord. But then at some point they took and rebelled against God. And I want to stop right there for a second and explain to you that this is not just a, a, a sin here and there. We're talking about outright defiance of God. I mean, you know, for all of us, we're all going to sin. No, no one is perfect, not, not one. But what we're talking about here is that it was an 
outright defiance. And he says in the beginning of verse 1, he says, and the Israelites did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. That means that they worship other gods. So if there's one thing that's going to raise the back of the hair you know, on God's head is, is, is having another God beside him. He won't share his love with anybody. Okay? Christian or not, God's not going to accept the fact that he's not number one. Right? And so what do you do? He, you know, he says in a lot of scripture that he, he, he abandoned them. Well, the truth is God never truly really abandons. And it, to, to abandon would mean that he would have to completely leave the universe. And we know in Scripture there's nowhere we can go that God's not there, right? But it's really the idea of abandoning is meaning it's like, okay, I'm doing a hands-off approach here, but you, you, you want to go and, and worship those other gods and, and, and make up bottles for yourself? Let's see how well this works for you, okay? So he, he, he allowed them, God allows us to make our choices, right? So he allowed them to rebel and, and fall into oppression, and you can guarantee this, so that when, when we do things against God, things aren't going to work out for you. You cannot get God's blessings when you're walking the opposite direction that God calls you to walk. So here he is, they rebelled, they fall into, fell into oppression, and then God raises up a deliverer time and time again. In the book of Judges, God rose up 12 deliverers. And, and these guys were more, they call them judges, but they were really more like political leaders. Each of them had their own abilities. But God used these people, men and women, to rescue Israel. So he rescued Israel, the people would repent, and then the whole cycle starts over and over again. So the question you have to ask is, why? Why would these Israelites who've seen the glory of God, who've seen God at work, go in and say, no, I, I'm going to go in my own direction? And it goes back to the whole idea of the, of the core values or the core beliefs that the Israelites had. And they were askew and, and they were not correct. Ultimately, what they were saying was, we don't believe you, God. We don't trust you. If you remember the reason why they were not able to enter into his rest, if you remember in Hebrews, is that it's because of unbelief. Time and time again, the Israelites didn't fully trust God for who he was and what he was going to do. You know, they didn't trust him to take care of their needs. They didn't trust him to protect them. They didn't trust him that he was going to provide in every way. They, they even didn't trust him that he was going to be their joy. In Psalm, uh, Psalm chapter 4, verse 7, David writes, You have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvest of grain and new wine. I'll read it again. You have given me greater joy than those who have abundant harvest of grain and new wine. David saw that, you know, regardless of what the, the, what the people owned, he saw his true joy was in his father, right? And so the question we have to ask yourselves are, do you believe that to be true, right? Sometimes we, we believe half-truths because if you think about it this way, if, if if we read that, you know, um, his mercies are new every morning, right? And we know that God is there to, to bless and give us, 
If we believe that to be true, then the very first part of our day is we're going to seek out God, we're going to seek His blessing and, and the joys that He has for me. Right? But if I'm not really believing that to be true, I'm going to put that aside and suddenly I'm going to go off doing my, my own thing or seeking the other thing that might be joy. Right? There's joy in, 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 in the Word of God. There's joy in, in, in being in the house of the Lord. Right? But some of the people out there, you know, they don't see that, and they believe that, you know, oh, I'm going to go golfing on Sunday, right? And, and, and Carl, you know, told me that, you know, the the statistics are that um, a regular attender goes once a month to church. Once a month, that's ridiculous, right? Regular tender should be somebody who's here every single Sunday. Why? Not that they have to go, but they, they, they want to go. They want to be in the presence of God Almighty and be in, under uh, the Word of God and the fellowship, right? It, it's all under perspectives of how we see things. D- you know, you, you trust God at His Word, that His Word is true. If you do, then you're going to take the time every morning to spend time in His Word, gleaning from it, hearing from it, and seeking the truth that He's got from it, right? These are all the perspectives of, of what do we have as, as far as our core views. Wrong thinking produces wrong actions. You know, you think of it, it's like, yeah, but you know, the, these, these Israelites, they worshipped idols and they worshipped other gods. Truth is, Israel is really a picture of humanity. That's really us when you think about it. Maybe we're not worshiping a gold statue, but the question is, what, what is first place in our hearts, in our lives, right? You know, if we trust God that He's going to provide for our needs, Jehovah Jireh, God is our provider, are we able to rest in that, or are we working day and night, day and night, to try to make ends meet? You know, I think, I think it's Psalm 127, he says, you know, for he gives rest to those who, who put their trust in him. Meaning, you know, it's like we don't have to work day in, day out. Good thing, you know, you got to sit up too close, spits coming right to the, uh, the front row there. <clears throat> you're, you're with me, what, what I'm saying? It's, it's what, you, what you put your trust into, right? If, if, you, if you put your trust in money and say money is going to be the, the thing in which provides and meets all my needs, that's going to be your God. That's going to be the one that you're going to put all your effort and your time into it. And so maybe you're, you're working every, all the time around the clock. And, and, and Israelites, you know, if you think about this one, there's one, there's one part in the Scripture where it talks about, and the Israelites did evil and they sacrificed their own children. How can that be that you would actually sacrifice your own child? But you know what? We do that here today. People are working around the clock to get the bigger house, to get the, the more things, and, and, and to climb the corporate ladder at the sacrifice of their children. You might as well have just put a stake in them and burned them at the cross because when you're not putting the time into it, you've traded this God. You, you, you with me? Amen. All right, moving on. Uh, 
We're going to look at Judges 6.11. So it says here, And the angel of the Lord came and sat beneath the great tree of Ophrah, which belonged to Joash of the clan of Abizar. I think it's a, and Gideon, son of Joash, was threshing wheat at the bottom of the winepress to hide the grain from the Midianites. So two things we'll look at real quick. What does it mean to thresh wheat? So the, literally what it would be is that you would have these wheat stalks on the ground and typically you would have them in a big, wide, flat area and you'd either stomp on them or you'd have, I think, cattle even walking over them or you'd be beating with sticks. And the idea is to separate the wheat from the chaff and then what, a big open area you would kind of throw up uh, both, and the chaff would be blown away, and what you're left with is the, is the kernels. But it says here that he was doing this, but at the, at the bottom of a wine press. What's a wine press? Good question. Wine press is a giant vat, probably about the size of uh, John's hot tub. You know, maybe um, you can fit four or five guys in there, you know. Uh, and then what you typically do is load them up with grapes, and they would be stomping away, squeezing out the juices. But then there would be another lower pit where all of that juice would flow into, and what I believe is what they call the, you know, the bottom of the wine press. This is where Gideon was. So here we are, we got Gideon taking and doing his thing. And did you, if you pick up what it says, he's doing it because he's looking to hide whatever he had from the Midianites. And you look at it and say, well, geez, you know, what's he doing there, you know, in the wine press? Well, no one would ever thought of looking in the wine press because there were no grapevines. There was no grapes to be crushed because everything was stripped bare. So here he was, he was there hiding, hoping that you know, nobody's going to see him. And by the way, as a little side note here, trusting in God and his word, God told the Israelites way back, he says, completely destroy the Midianites, completely remove them from the land. But they failed to listen to God completely, and now it's coming back to bite them. And they're, and they're dealing with this. They've been dealing with this for the last seven years. When God says something in his word, do you trust it? Do you believe it? Well, I believe what we're, we're in our final little minutes that we're going to stay together here, I believe that uh, that Gideon was struggling with a few viewpoints of himself that he needed to overcome. And so let's look at them together. And some of these are even things that we have a tendency to struggle with. So I'm reading on still in Judges. We're in, in chapter 6. I'm looking at uh, 12 to 15. This is, this is so cool here. It says, Then the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said, Mighty hero, the Lord is with you. What? Wait a minute. Mighty hero? What are you talking about? What, what was Gideon doing that all of a sudden he, he should be called a mighty hero? What, was, he, was he fighting the, uh, the Midianites? What, was he rescuing captives? Was he uh, getting back the sheep? No. He, he was a simple little farmer threshing out wheat, just scratching out a living to try to make ends meet. There wasn't really much to, you know, to look at to say that he was uh, this some mighty hero. Wasn't exactly superhero material, I should say. So I really want to bring to this first point that, that they make is that you are defined not by your own view of yourself or what other people have to say. You're defined by what God says about you. 
Listen to what he says here in Ephesians 2.10. He says, For we are God's masterpiece. He has created us anew in Christ Jesus so we can do the good things He planned for us long ago. You know, maybe you might be uh, dealing with a self-esteem. You know, you're dealing with and struggling with saying, you know, it's like, who am I? Do I measure up? Do I, do, do I make the grade? It's not what you think, it's what God thinks. And you know what? According to my, my Bible, which New Living Translation, that, that is the right Bible, by the way, um, he doesn't make junk. Everything God does is good. And he's made each one of you, and each one of you are, are wonderfully and masterfully made. You're created in his image. You're special. You're unique. Okay? And I want you to hold confident to that. It wasn't about who Gideon was. It was about what God saw in Gideon. God, and you see, God looked beyond Gideon's current condition. He looked beyond Gideon's um, state where he is. Even though he sees who he is, he sees him for what he can be or what he's becoming. Just like we are becoming in, in, in turning into the image of Christ. Day by day, he's chosen away. Day by day, we're being renewed. We're being polished, as you might say. And that's how God looks at us. And that's how we need to have that. That is a core view that you need to have down. So the question I have for you is, are there any superheroes in the house this morning? Who's in the house? I mean, superheroes. I got one superhero going once, going twice, going three times. Man, the rest of you guys, let me tell you something. If you are a child of God, and if you have made Christ your Lord and Savior, you are a superhero this morning. Or I could say you're a superhero in training, you're in the making, and I'm going to prove that to you right here, right now. So the definition, according to Brian Bovey, is a superhero is one who has special gifts and possesses great power to do great things. Demolishing strongholds, breaking chains, freeing captives, tearing down walls, to boldly go where no man has gone before. 1 Peter 4.10 speaks of, you don't have it up, but it speaks of the idea that to each one of us has been given gifts. And it's it gifts from uh, God's great heavenly storehouse. Ephesians 1, 19 and 20, another great verse. I have this one up. It says, I also pray that you will understand the incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in Him. Incredible greatness of God's power for us who believe in Him. This is the same mighty power that raised Christ from the dead and seated Him in the place of honor at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. I think this would make an excellent song, don't you? You guys have been given power. Power to, to, to go into areas that are on fire and quench them. You've got power to... to to take down strongholds and to free captives. You've got power to do extraordinary things. I want you to know that. I want you to believe it. I want you to understand it this morning. Okay? Anybody with me? We're good? There's a quote. It says here, With great power comes great responsibility. All right, continuing on, we're looking at Judges 6, 13 to 14. 
So he goes on and says, Sir, Gideon replied, if the Lord is with us, why has all this happened to us? And where are all the miracles our ancestors told us about? Didn't they say the Lord brought us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has abandoned us and handed us over to the Midianites. Well, it's a, it's a partial truth. You know, it's like, okay, I'm going to take a step back and let's get, we're going to see how things are going to go for you. You know, but the Lord is still there. And the truth is, he's talking to the Lord even right there. So he's not even realizing what's going on. But look at 14. I, I love this part where he says, where am I? Then the Lord turned to him and said, go with the strength you have and rescue, rescue Israel from the Midianites. I am sending you. I'm sending you. You know, sometimes, maybe even more often than not, we're confronted with situations and we just don't feel that we measure up. You know, sometimes we feel like, oh, I can't do that. I, I, I'm not as strong as Anthony. I, I, I can't speak like Carl, you know, or I'm not as talented as, as Colin, you know, or Anthony's the one who does, you know, great in serving, at, you know, in the kitchen, right? You know, and the thing is, but God's saying, you know, saying, you're not going to go in Carl's strength or Anthony's strength, or Colin's abilities, you're going to go, I'm sending you to go in the strength that you have. In other words, and if you look at the, the, the I think it's really, you know, translation is, I'm sending you with the abilities that you have. Okay? And sometimes we think that we need more. We think we need to have extra stuff. No, no. Go with the strength you have. There's a, there's a quote that says, God doesn't call the equipped, he equips the called. So number two, God calls us as we are. He says, come to me as you are. It's, it's, it's like he's, when, when we, we come unto salvation, he's not calling, he says, wait a minute, got to clean you up, got to fix you up, I got to get you more strength, I give you, you know, no. He's come to me as you are and let me do the work, Right? The truth is, the only ability that God is looking for from each of us is availability. Will you answer the call? And this is, he's, he's calling out to Gideon, right? And Gideon's course of like, you know, second guessing and questioning his abilities or whatever cases. In, in Isaiah 6, 8, the Lord asks Isaiah, who will go? And he says, send me. Send me. You know, I, I think of... Um, I think of Moses when God was uh, calling Moses to go in and rescue the Israelites from Egypt. And he says, who, who am I, Lord, that you should send me? Right? And if you read on further, he says, I, I can't speak. You know, when he, he sounds like he's stuttering, he might have you know, a speech problem or he was, maybe he was just nervous. But God can continue to use him regardless of what he had or he hadn't. He used the abilities that are already given to him. And our encouragement for you is that you don't need more. You just need to go in faith with what God has already given you. You know, you're going in and it's like, I, I, I got to witness to somebody. I, I, I don't know what to say. God's going to give you the words when you need to do it. You don't have to have the, uh, the, the knowledge of the Bible in, in, in Hebrew and, and Latin. You just need to share what God has put in you. I, I like, you know, um, when, when Paul's talking in, in, 
in Corinthians in chapter 12, he uses the analogy that uh, the church is much like our physical body. And to each one of us, uh, there's, we have a, a nose, an ear. <laughs> um, we've been given, you know, uh, abilities, and we've been given, you know, roles. And, and every one of us uh, plays an important role with the, our abilities. You know, Karen, she does what she does, and only that only she can, right? So I'm not looking to say that I got to measure up and, and match Karen. I'm going to do, I'm going to walk in the abilities that God has given me. So I like where we were in 12, 18 in Corinthians, it says, but our bodies have many parts and God has put each part where he wants it. And can I say, God's got you right where he wants you to be right now. He's right where you are. And that's not saying he's going to keep you here. And maybe he's going to move, he's going to move you. And he's, I think he's constantly moving us to higher ground, right? But he's got you where he wants you. And number three, uh, my, my, my final come to a close here, looking at uh, verse 15, it says, But Lord, Gideon replied, how can I rescue Israel? Notice how he's it's looking at himself. How can I rescue Israel? My clan is the weakest in the whole tribe of Manasseh, and I am the least in my entire family. You know, he, again, he, he, his focus is on himself. His focus is on um, his shortcomings. His focus is on um, perhaps his family is, is, is the least in the tribes. Maybe they're, they're the, the poorest, they might say. Or maybe they're, they don't have strength in numbers. So again, he's second-guessing himself and saying, as if saying, like, I'm only one person. How, how am I going to make a difference? So my, my number three point is, you make a difference. Each one of us makes a difference. As I mentioned, in, like in the body, only the thumb can do what the thumb does. Only the pinky can do what a pinky does. And only you can do what you do. And so I, I got a, a note here that says, only you can do what you do the way that you do it. Only you can do what you do the way you do it. There's no one else can, can fill your shoes. No one else is going to fill the shoes that Ian does as being a husband and a father. He's, he is uniquely you know, set apart, gifted, and been given the ability to do what he does. And I want you to think that same lines for each one of you in the roles that you play in this church, in your homes, and in your communities, right? Don't sell yourself short. Don't, 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 don't cut your nose off. Go in with a confidence, with a different view that, I, yes, I do make a difference. Yes, I w can make an impact for Christ. There's so much I want to share, you know, saying it's just we're, we're, we're there's, it's like, it's like sifting, you know, and mining for treasures, right? And, and I'd like to share with you all day long. But I got some snacks out there waiting for me. You know. <clears throat> but I'm giving you a meal today to, to, to chew on. But I want you to come to terms of understanding that sometimes your worldviews, your internal views, and the way you see God and the way you think God sees you can be askew. And it can affect every area of your life. Right? 
But my, my encouragement for you today is threefold. One is, let's go back to, let's go back to the, um, the last line. We're going to do all three. You are defined by what God says. God calls us as we are, and you make a difference. Amen? I'm going to have everybody rise up. You might be struggling this morning with, with some self-esteem. That's okay. God knows where you're at. God, God sees your heart. But I believe that God wants to speak to each one of you this morning and say that you are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus. That you are fearfully and wonderfully made, as it says in Psalm 139. And that He thinks of you more than all the sands of the shore. How great is His love for you. You are His masterpiece. These are, these are the core views that you need to internalize. This in, in turn will affect all your external things that you do, your actions. So as we're everybody's head bowed, I'm going to pray and close this up. So Lord, we, we thank you for the truth of your word. Help us, Lord, to come to terms with that, that you are who you say you are and that you do what you say you're going to do and that your promises are eternal. Father, help us to come to a, a deep understanding of just how great and how deep and how wide your love is for us. Help us to come to understanding to know that you don't make junk that each one of us is precious in your sight. Help us to know that you've given us power to be able to do extraordinary things. Just as each of the men and women of faith in chapter 11 of Hebrews, they were ordinary people that you used to do extraordinary things. I pray, Lord, for each person this morning that you would empower them and give them a double dose of your spirit, that you would give them strength from above and might to be able to go into places most people can't, to bring down strongholds, to, to uh, free the captives, to bring healing and wholeness to those around us. Father, help each person here to know that you've gifted them You've given them abilities. You've given them strength. And none of, no one here is, is uh, lesser, but we're greater because of you. Help each person here to know, Father, that uh, they are the head and not the tail. So, Father, I pray your blessing over each one here as they go. Let them go this week with power and with strength, knowing that you go before them. And Father, I pray one last thing, that each person here would draw closer to you and grow deeper in their understanding of your word. I pray this in Jesus' name.